Uh, good morning. My name is Peter Watson, for those of you who are visitors, and I too am a member of the ministry team here at St Andrews. But let me assure you, I'm the oldest. <laughs> there are even some, as you saw, under 30, three under 30. The others are of indeterminate age. <laughs> so if you decide to come here on a regular basis, you only see me every, every so often. This morning we're continuing our series through the Gospel of John, which we began soon after Christmas. And this morning, as you have heard, we are looking at the whole of chapter 2, all 25 verses of the second chapter of John. And the two events we've just read about contained in the uh, chapter are well known to readers of the Gospels, well known to readers of the New Testament. Jesus changing water into wine and Jesus later on clearing the temple courts in Jerusalem, in particular the court of the Gentiles where this trade was taking place. But the concluding three verses of the chapter, I don't know whether you noticed, are not, not so well known, but they're quite significant. Many people saw the signs Jesus was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was, was in each person. In other words, Jesus loves people, Jesus heals them, but he's under no illusions as to the fickleness of human nature. If we assume that nothing in the Gospels is incidental, that it all matters, that every part makes a point, a deliberate is, is there because the Gospel writer wants it to be there, then this comment is a significant part of the chapter. So chapter 2 of John's Gospel has three parts, and the three parts interrelate. As he begins to write his story about Jesus, John deliberately takes or places the water into wine alongside the clearing of the temple. And he concludes those two stories, those two events, his narrative about those events, with the comment about Jesus' insight into human nature. He knows us better than we know ourselves. In the opening 18 verses of the Gospel, as we've already seen, John has made a grand statement about the identity of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. As Jesus later told one of his disciples, Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, to behold Jesus is to behold God. To encounter Jesus is to encounter Almighty God. So we enter each of these three parts of the second chapter with that fact in our brains, in our minds. We don't actually discover the identity of Jesus as we read through the Gospel of John. It is given to us at the outset Jesus is God. And there's something else which is important to keep at the back of our minds, sometimes in the front of our minds. 
We learn from the first chapter, those opening 18 verses of the first chapter, it is this, that from the very beginning, Jesus was both unrecognised and rejected. Jesus was unrecognised and rejected. He was in the world, and though, though the world was made by him, through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to his own, but his own would not receive him. Now, those words will not allow us to romanticise anything we read in the Gospels. And it's that particular observation with which the Gospel begins that throws light on John's comment that Jesus will not entrust himself to others. The world is a dangerous place for Jesus and he knows it from the beginning. Now to the two incidents, water to wine and clearing the temple courts. They're two very different events and they take place at two very different times and places. But it suits John for his purposes at this part of his gospel to, to, to describe and to, and to place them side by side. First, Jesus was at a wedding in the village of Cana with his mothers and others, some of his disciples. It's not far from the Sea of Galilee to the north of Palestine. And then comes the clearing of the temple. It takes place down south in Jerusalem. We're told it's during the season of Passover. We're not told which season of Passover because there are three or four seasons of Passover mentioned in John's Gospels. One of the pieces of evidence that allow us to conclude that Jesus' public ministry took about three or four years. If we only had Matthew, Mark and uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke, we might well conclude it took, place, took about 12 months. So very different events happening different times and different places. But there are moments during each event which point us to the identity of Jesus and John has placed those incidents side by side because that truth seen in one has echoes in the other. Let me try and point that out to you. Let me see if I can do this. this is, I don't use this thing very much. Here, oh, wow. That's magic, let me tell you. It worked for me. Under, I want to uh, try and point that out under the three heads of religion, signs, and Easter. Religion, Jesus, and the religion of the day. The supernatural signs of Jesus. And Easter the destiny of Messiah. Religion, by the word religion, I mean, it can mean various things, but I mean by it, organised religion, institutional religion, as much as we understand it. At both the wedding and the temple, Jesus is seen as superior and offering something better than the religion of his day. He is offering the eternal life of God. The re religion of his day, Judaism, by contrast, is form without substance. Elsewhere, he described the religion of his day as a burden on people's backs. Now that is hinted at here in the wedding feast, but it's loud and clear in the event in the temple. A first century Middle Eastern wedding banquet could, could last for up to seven days. 
parents should tremble. <laughs> so to run out of wine was a disaster. But where is organised religion in this, this event? It's alluded to by the comment that the six water containers from which the water become wine was drawn were the kind used by the Jews in their ceremonial washings. What's the point? Just this. The ceremonial washings and all the rest may have once had a point. Indeed, they were required by Old Testament law. But by Jesus' day, they had become rituals without meaning. In fact, to become a burden. The newly created wine, and favourably commented upon by the MC at the, at the banquet, has a deeper meaning. It points John's readers to the new life given to those who believe in Jesus. You've saved the best till now, says the MC with surprise. And John is saying to his reader, Do you get it? What is the best? that's just arrived. It's him. It's Jesus. It's Messiah. He far surpasses the old religion. It was intended, the whole point of the old religion, was intended to point to Messiah, to prepare people for Messiah. Instead, when Jesus comes, they do everything in their power to destroy him. But the superiority of Jesus over the old religion is made abundantly clear to us in the temple. By the clearing of the commerce from the court of the, temp of the Gentiles, Jesus shows what he thinks of the old religion. They have turned the house of prayer into a business, Stop turning my father's house into a market, he says. How bad was that? Religion become a money-making business. But that happens when institutions lose their way. It happens when institutional religion loses its way. First, Jesus referred to the temple as his father's house. It wasn't theirs to do with as they liked anyway. But when they ask him for a sign that he has the authority to do what he had, this remarkable thing, this spectacular thing that he had done, he refers to his own body as a temple. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. By those words, Jesus is challenging the very heart of first century religion. He's challenging the legitimacy of the temple itself, the throbbing heart of first century Judaism. Has organised religion got a bit of that in it today? Have we lost our way a bit Royal commissions into child sexual abuse, not only in Australia. The US mega churches, with their highly paid 
pastors and extravagant lifestyles and their public comments about certain politicians, dare I say it. The public seeing us mostly as negative and out of touch. Maybe, perhaps, room for debate, no doubt, <laughs> and discussion. But I find it both salutary and confronting that the church of Jesus' day got it so wrong. And so should we. Following Jesus is to begin a friendship with him because he touches something inside your inner being with his deeds, with his teachings about God, his heavenly father, and with his teaching about the power of love to transform our life. The Jesus of the Gospel of John is not contained by, nor is he defined by, organised religion. He is superior to it by far, and it is he who offers us eternal life, not some ecclesiastical organisation. The signs, the supernatural signs of Jesus... Jesus' supernatural authority and power are clearly seen, demonstrated to us and seen by us in both events. At the wedding banquet, Jesus was responsible for creating over a hundred gallons of wine. And apparently it was a good drop. Everyone brings out the choice wine first, but you have saved the best till now. Of course. Who's the winemaker? The MC didn't know where the wine come from, had come from, but the servants knew because they had taken it from the water, water pots. It's very interesting in this and all the signs of Jesus. No, no attempt by the gospel writer here or any of the, of the four gospel writers to ever describe actually what happens, but rather to simply tell us that something quite remarkable has happened. John describes the remarkable turn of events, the water, now tasting like wine, as a sign. It's significant, characteristic of John, not in the other three Gospels. He calls it the first sign. We're not too sure whether that's the actual first sign or whether it's the first of the signs irrelevant perhaps to the point but using the word sign rather than the word miracle emphasis is being made that Jesus is not merely a wonder worker rather that by these deeds these miraculous signs Jesus is revealing something crucial about him, his identity. He is from God. He is of God. His signs, John tells us, 
By his signs, he reveals the glory of God. The signs reveal his godness, not really a word, but a better word. The signs reveal his divinity. When Jesus was challenged by the temple authorities and they sought a sign from him for doing what he did, he pointed them beyond the moment, which is what the signs do. They all point beyond the actual event itself, beyond the wine, beyond walking on water, beyond feeding the 5,000. They, beyond the moment itself, to what we call Easter, he pointed them to his death. He is pointing them to his death and resurrection. Destroy this temple and in three days I will rise, raise it up again. He's talking about himself and his death and resurrection, not their building, although it would be destroyed some 30 years later. In John's Gospel, unlike the other three, there are eight, eight, some would say seven, but if you include the resurrection, there are eight miraculous signs in John's Gospel. The first is here, the water to wine. The eighth is Jesus and resurrection. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that most reveals his supernatural origins. The resurrection is where the whole of John's gospel is headed. Here is the God who created everything beginning again. It is the new creation Jesus told Nicodemus about. Nicodemus, you must be born again to the frowning Nicodemus. But to believe in the supernatural Jesus, to believe in this Jesus who's being revealed to us here in these words, is to be born again, to start over again with God. So my final word, Easter, the destiny of Messiah. At both wedding and temple, Jesus' death and resurrection are being foreshadowed. It's foreshadowed in Jesus' conversation with his mother. She comes to him. They have no more wine. He replies, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Some commentators are a little bit surprised. Jesus' words may seem a bit disrespectful to his mother. And yet we know from elsewhere in the gospel, he loved and respected his mother deeply. So what do we make of his words? Just this. No one, not even his mother, calls the tune for Jesus. He is a man on a mission. And that mission has been given him by God, his heavenly father. He was indicating his priorities to his mother and solving their wine problem was not high on the list. Nonetheless, he did it abundantly and well. He does all things well. But it's the latter words that are the ones for us to notice. What is his hour? It is his death and resurrection. That is his hour 
And Jesus speaks of it again in the temple when he challenges the authorities, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. Raise it up. The authorities don't understand what he's talking about, nor do the disciples at that moment, but eventually they do. He's referring to his death and resurrection, where the Gospel of John is always headed, and it's never far from Jesus' own mind. Easter is the destiny of the Jesus story. This is his triumph over the world that is set out to destroy him. But the journey to that destiny for him is full of danger and quite a bit of pain. And that danger is reflected, as I began by saying in John's observation, that Jesus would not entrust himself to any man because he knew well our fickle natures and our enormous potential for evil. The world did not much care for Jesus then and nothing much has changed. Oh, they liked him well enough when he fed them. But they could turn from him in a flash. At the end of chapter 6, after he had fed the 5,000, Jesus went on to speak about what it really means to follow him. And then we read, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The concluding words to chapter 2 are a reality call to us all. Jesus was not a populist. He calls his followers not to go down that path. The ways of the ad man and the politician may be right for them, but they are not the ways of Jesus nor his church. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ does not make any sense in our celebrity-ridden, materialistic world. It is madness. It makes no sense. But no one could have invented it. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the genius of God on display. Through the back door, when nobody was looking, came God as a child, vulnerable, humble, little, weak, turning his back on the powerful and on the church of his day, he called the unlikely ones to follow him. And when the crowds began to leave him, he turned to the twelve and asked, You do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, And we may take, make and take Peter's words as our own. Lord, to whom shall we 
kingdom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Lord Jesus, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are God's Messiah. Amen.